Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast. I am Kelly Birmingham. This is a 25 year look back across the spectrum. Um, going through my journey in working in the field of autism and developmental disabilities. And I'm here with my partner in crime as usual, Jen Lucero, mom to Dylan and Ethan. Hey, Jen. Hey, Kelly. How are you doing today? I'm good. Oh, we're surviving, right? Yeah. And <laughs> actually, Ethan's on his way home from Monterey again. For, so he might pop in too. Nice. Maybe not just Dylan. <laughs> so anyone who's listened to our podcast before, we did a podcast with Jen's son, Ethan, about what it's like to be a sibling. And it's one of our highest rated podcasts because he was so real and raw and honest about all his feelings about that. So Ethan's kind of famous, yeah. um, at least in our world. We love Ethan. So today we're going to talk about a topic. Um, and as you know, we do a lot of our podcast topics based on something that maybe got in our craw this week. <laughs> and this one has always kind of been something that's bothered me for a long time, but it came up today. I'm sorry, this week, because I happened to actually see some posts um, of ABA companies that were talking about parent trainings that they were doing. And that is a term um, that is something that is, in my opinion, not appropriate to use, right? And so our podcast today is What's in a Name? Mm -hmm. And we have uh, two special guests with us. I'll introduce our first guest. It is Heather O'Shea. Um, and she is the special interest group leader for the Council of Autism and Service Providers on this used to be parent training, now different name that I'll let you describe, our special interest group. And our whole point in that special interest group for any of the BCBAs listening to this topic is what is in a name and why is that even important? And so parent training came about when insurance companies became the payor, right? Um, insurance companies pay for ABA services now, especially here in California since 2013. And the parent training was an aspect that I think initially was intended to make sure we were including parents in our treatment plan and including parents in our sessions and our work. But it's now kind of trickled down to a, one, a term that feels antiquated and inappropriate. And two, the manner in which they're dictating how we should do parent training from my, in my perspective is often inappropriate. Um, Heather, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> you are the expert. Heather O'Shea is one of the, I think, experts on this topic about what is in a name and what parent training should be called and what the value should be like. So Heather, give us your spiel. All right. Do your thing. Myself, but I will say, I don't consider myself an expert in anything because I think <laughs> in order to be an expert, and especially like in this field, like I'll run into people like, oh, you're an expert in autism. I'm like, I'm an expert in autism when I get like nine more degrees, when I've lived this many more lives. So, um, you know, I've got about 20 years in the field. I've done a lot. So I think I have something to back up my opinion that I, I appreciate, but I do not label <laughs> myself an expert by any means, but I have opinions. Um, Let's hear them. <laughs> all right. So uh, for those of you, you know, Kelly mentioned CASP, it's the Council for Autism Service Providers. It's led by Lori Unum, who hopefully many people know her name. She is the one who I personally like to credit for why uh, most families can get autism services. She's been a massive advocate in the field for a long time. Um, so when she joined CASP, I was very excited about joining CASP. And one of the things that we do uh, at CASP is usually have like a monthly meeting that's just that anyone who's a member can sit and talk and issues and concerns. And so one of the things that they had started about a year ago were these special interest groups, which is quite common for organizations. And so based off member feedback, they had come up with different topics of, you know, groups. And for the now, for the moment, we'll call parent training was not one of them. Um, 
And in one of these monthly calls, there was a discussion about, you know, some of the bad rap that ABA is getting and why is that? And what are the valid reasons why it gets a bad reputation and what are the non-valid reasons? And in that it sort of went down this path of buy-in to the field. And I think one of the areas that I see now that I didn't see when I was younger in the field um, is the fact that I think, uh, and I say this with love and respect for all the providers and BCBAs and RBTs and everyone out here who is trying their best, we do not do a great job as a field at involving parents and caregivers in the process. Right. Um, and I, I don't think that's for lack of concern or effort or attempt. Um, but if you look at the traditional training for people who get trained in ABA, they are not trained on anything on that. My not background at all. is a psychologist. I have a PhD in psychology. So I look at things with a different lens. And so I think that combined with what you talked about, Kelly, which is how the term came about is we often miss the mark as a field. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, this is where, you know, you guys have told me you keep this thing real. When I was 24, four and didn't have any kids in myself. And I'm working with a parent who's 40 years old, who's got four kids and I'm going to train them how to be a parent. Um, I mean, if I'm not parent, I'd be like, and there's the door. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Really? Now it's not to say whatever age you are, how long you've been in this field that you don't have something valuable to offer. Um, but I think that that in the first thing sort of sets a power dynamic. That's not probably even accurate. Right. Um, and I think has probably turned a lot of parents off from ABA at times because it becomes this thing where, you know, you're going to have the teacher come in and teach you how to do stuff. And so I use the term for a million years, I'm sure, whatever, if there's videos or audios, you'll find me saying it. It really wasn't until we came up with a special interest group that I sort of stopped and went, is this the right term for this group? Um and the two areas we, we actually did, uh, the, all the members, we did a survey, we had discussions about it, and we looked at both words, right? The first was parent, is that antiquated? Um, which most of us decided it is, because a lot of times the biological parent of an individual receiving autism services might have full-time job, might have two full-time jobs, might you know not be home all the time and is a wonderful parent and is doing tons for their kids, but the primary caregiver could be aunt or grandma or neighbor or whatever else. Yep. And so, you know, the one upside I think of the funding is they have gotten a little more open to say, it should be the people who are, who's in that individual's life, who's going to be able to support the therapy. These are the important people, what their biological relation is to the client is really not the more relevant thing. So I now try to use the term caregiver, mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure in 10 years, I'll decide that that's somehow antiquated and there's right. a better, but it's my attempt to do better. Right. And then the second one was the training. And we must've come up with, I think as a group, like 14 different words. Yep. And it was like, training, education, collaboration, guidance. I mean, there was just all these, we basically got a full for all and then went through and sort of voted. And, and I think that one, there's more wiggle room for what probably is correct. And I think there is an element for you as a provider being clear and articulate in how your service is provided. So one word might actually be more appropriate for one provider than another, but I now try to use the term caregiver collaboration, which to me, starts off on the right foot to assume that one, you bring something to the table, caregiver, right? I bring something to the table, you know, BCBA, RBT. It's the process of us collaborating and working together in the best interest of the client. 
Um, and I don't care whether you're bio mom, bio dad, stepmom, stepdad, grandma, grandma, auntie, who's no relation, whatever. It's about the idea of those who are important in the client's life who could help support this therapy is who I want to include. So, and this is why you're the person, right? You say it so beautifully and um, you say what I think a lot of people feel and have thought about, but you dare to say it. And so part of this podcast is the two perspectives, right? It's the ABA, BCBA side of this. And then there's the parent side of it and the discussion and coming together. And so love everything you just said, Heather, spot on from my perspective, ABA, BCBA. All right, Jen, as the caregiver here, (laughs) why don't you go ahead and introduce your guest Mm -hmm. and or your thoughts on this topic? And then you guys, caregiver perspective, let us have it. Sure. Well, um, I do think it was definitely spot on. Um, I saw a huge shift. Um, Dylan has been in ABA, um, both privately and through the school district since, um, since he got diagnosed at four. Um, and I did see a shift when the insurance law passed where it became where it was more about, you know, one-on-one and interaction where it definitely took the shift of, well, we want to do parent training. We went and meaning, um, when insurance was involved. If I was paying out of pocket or doing, you know, finding ways to get services, um, I didn't see that much of that. It was more like, you know, social groups and collaboration. Um, But I definitely experienced that. And it was definitely kind of off-putting because it was like, okay, well, we're going to tell you what to do, but you need to Um, you know, you need to follow through and do everything. Um, And at the time I worked full-time, like you were just saying. Um, And so I really relied on my family a lot, especially my parents. So then that added extra pressure too. Like my dad was watching Dylan a lot. And so they're like, well, he has to be part of this training and he needs to actually execute. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what's happening here? So um, didn't they want him to like take data and write down strategy? I'm like, he's grandpa, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, um, I I asked Bianca to be on this because we've known each other forever. I think at least a decade. Um, and we both have sons on the spectrum and she um, is a wonderful person and does a lot to volunteer with, you know, which is amazing because I know how busy you are. But um, Bianca, why don't you tell us about yourself and your son and then what your experience has been on this topic? Well, thank, first, thanks for having me and including me in this conversation. I think it's so um, important to validate parents' perspective and input. And I think that is, I love everything that Heather said. I was just um, relating to that power dynamic yeah. that um, just by a title, you're going to parent train me on how to care for my my child. And I think what in capsules in that moment is we know something that you don't. And when that quite is the opposite organically, the parent knows, I know my child as a primary caregiver, even just as his mom, but I am the primary caregiver also. And I spend 24 seven with this, with my kiddo, 
there's nobody that knows him better. Now I might not know the psychology or the behavior, the term or, but I can tell you inside and out and many parents can, um, and they know their child through and through, like just the back of their hand and can tell you what's happening, but may not be able to know, have the tools quite yet in, um, what they need. And that is what, what ABA or whatever services um, are providing, but how they do so. And then the manner that they do so can really set the, um, the tone and pace of being, of the parent onboarding. Like I, I want to do whatever is going to um, help support my son, who, whatever's going to get him to, uh, all, all the things that he needs to enrich his life to its fullest. That that's my role here for him. Um, but I do, I can totally relate to when Jen said like, uh, you know, that, that shift and when the insurance happened, I do recall um, being given like pop tests in my home. Of what are the four functions of behaviors? on the spot. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I haven't slept in five days. Do you want to want to reverse this role and you be mom? And then I'll give you a pop quiz, you know? So it was a very, um, it's very off-putting. And I think what, when you're the parent and you have, um, a kiddo that has a significant, like I have a very impacted son with autism and it is, you know, there are, there are, challenges in areas that you know typical parents don't foresee and they and they shouldn't so it it, it can be in, immensely exhausting just physically emotionally and and those are the components that if you don't have the right agency if you don't have the right people coming into your home if you don't have the right terms if you don't have all of the things that are going to emotionally and physically support the not just the child but the family and i think that's what evolved for me as a parent from the very beginning i just was like overwhelmed and listening and trying to absorb and being like, I just want to do whatever, teach me everything. And then it kind of got to be like, okay, you're giving me a pop quiz. I haven't slept in five days. Hold on, hold on. So we kind of coined the term like team Jack, like this is our team for Jack and we're all here to collaborate. And it kind of set the climate a little bit differently. And we kind of had to, to like, just push for that kind of um, environment within our home, which I think parents should do. And, and I, I wish I had more Heathers coming into my world that had the psychology mm -hmm. behind, mm -hmm. you know, um, and understood maybe the emotional factor. Like, you know, I, I had um, regional center on Jack's third birthday. Mind you, we, we had speculated diagnosis um, at 18 months. He had services from two years, three months, but it wasn't until his third birthday that we formally had an ASD diagnosis prior to it was PDD-NOS and blah, 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 blah. And um, so three, on his third birthday, regional center ca called and said, oh, it's also um, intellectual disability, which at that point was a different term. Mm -hmm. and um don't worry you'll just get more services and 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 oh yes and he has an asd diet and i just remember being like i can't even get myself off the floor yeah now and you're going to come into my home in in those moments you have to really understand and be aware that the this is much more than just coming into somebody's house and giving them tools to work with their child this is um you're working with their everything, their heart, their soul, their very most important person. And so, 
I just would love a Heather in my world, <laughs> you know, <laughs> coming in at right at diagnosis time in particular, because it does take a while to bend and mold and figure out who you are as a parent to really solidify like how things are that you are going to manage, how things are going to go in your home and for your child. And that your gut instinct is really just is always, always come back to that, that, that has been my, um, I know best. You might know that the, the, the tools that are going to help me get to what's happening with my kiddo, but I, I've never been misled by, you know, my gut instinct and just being mom. Wow. I think that, you know, as a provider, it's interesting because, you know, I've gotten work with all types of families and as they're all types of people, they're all types of parents. Um, But I think what you said is very true. There is, I am never going to walk in as a provider and know your child better than you. Never. And I I think there is an underlying um, minimization of the respect a parent should get for the knowledge they have about their child. Because without that, I can't do my job. My whole job is based off data and information, um, which you are the key holder to. Yes, I can go in and observe. And, And I think one of the challenge, you know, hopefully not controversial, but like some parents are not accurate reporters. Some parents know their child, but they're, they're, they don't necessarily do the right things or they can't accurately report. So that's where I'm like, that to me is where I go to collaboration. It doesn't mean that a parent doesn't bring value to it, but there's a knowledge base maybe that the provider has that needs to get supplemented to get to that end place. Um, yes. And for what it's worth, I mean, you're, you're kind of saying more Heathers. I have given quizzes. I have, I'm one of those yeah. people. So for what it's I worth. Haven't. I haven't, I fought against it. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, I can tell you what happened. You know, I can tell you why I did it, which I, I mean, to me, I'm always like a why person. When I did it originally is because when the insurance mandates, yep. we'll talk about California specifically, when it first came out, we were all very nervous that if we didn't show that there was benefit and that there was compliance, that kids would lose their coverage. Yep. And right. so it was a big pressure of, you know, which I, I half agree with and half down of how much a parent should be involved. Um, I think if the environment outside of session, be that home, grandma's home, school, community, whatever, that does not reinforce what is done, ABA is not effective generally. So I am a huge supporter of the fact that like, I do want to try to get everyone on board at the same time. How is it realistic that I'm supposed to ask a parent who's maybe a single parent of three kids who's full-time, whatever, to do the same thing as a parent who has financial resources and a nanny and so forth. And so I try now to be more humanistic to say, okay, progress is what I care about. Where are we at? How can we get better? Like that's the hallmark of ADA. Um, But the same bar shouldn't be set for every parent or caregiver or so forth. But in those early days, I did that because I thought if I didn't, I couldn't justify that a parent was doing what was required and that kid could lose their services. So I, I created these really stupid goals of the four functions of behaviors. Yep. Oh, I had that in all of my programs, yep. which now I'm such an advocate against to go, they're not BCBAs, they're parents. Yep. Um, that's a wrong goal. The idea that they can identify, like even just putting it in more normal language, which is part of a BCBA or our ethics that a parent can understand why a child engaged in a behavior and the best strategy to reduce it. Like, that right. is an ABA nomenclature functions, but in real normal people language that can actually mean something to grandma or aunt or babysitter or whoever else. So um, yeah, for what it's worth, it, it, it's been years of lessons of learning where I look back at a lot of things I did and I cringe. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I have the knowledge I have now. And that's why I'm thrilled to come on something like this because I want to educate the newer group coming through that can't doesn't have that ability to look back and go, what was I doing? <laughs> 
I know. And I think, sorry, if there's two comments I'll make on that. And then I want, I want the caregivers to talk more. Um, but I can tell you from my perspective, when this first happened in 2013, um, I, from the beginning wrote goals and attach the parent to the individual child goals, right? And an insurance company that shall not be named, but starts with an M and has a person who's high up in the company who blocks me and doesn't like me at all. And I have gone to battle over this um, to the point where I was worried my families were actually gonna lose their coverage because he, we were battling so much that I was afraid that it was going to be taken out and that it didn't. And I can't prove that, but it, it, it became worrisome because the backlash that I got mm -hmm. from several insurance companies, and this is 2014, mm -hmm. where I would not write parent goals. I would say, no, if a child has a goal to, um, you know, increase a new scale or decrease some kind of challenging problem behavior. That's the goal. The parent is attached to that goal. I'm not going to write a separate parent goal. The parent should be part of solving that goal of solving and being a part of that skill acquisition or, or behavior reduction. And so I think as practitioners, and we have a young field, right? Heather, over 50% of our field has only been certified in what, like the last few years. I think under three years or under is like, yeah. And so it's a super young field and this is not part of any of their training yeah. at all. Right. And so that has to come from supervision and the experience they get through their supervision hours. So to me, I feel like that's the group we need to sort of like be massaging and niching are these current BCBAs that are providing the supervision. How are we going to get this message out to them that the child goals are the parent goals? <laughs> Well, and also, I mean, Kelly, just real quick to it, it, the way we are trained, and I think very appropriately so, to write goals for the clients we serve is very measurable. It is, has a percentage, right. and that, that's a good thing. But then I think they have a hard time translating, why wouldn't you do that same type of goal with a parent or caregiver? And to me, there's a very good reason not to and do something very different, but it's very anti what they're doing every day. Yes. So, I mean, really, you know, to any of the BCBAs out there, like, you know, don't think, you know, don't quit the field when you're like, oh my God, I do this. Um, there's right. a reason why you've been trained to sort of do things wrong, but there is hope that you can do things right. That was perfectly said, much better. Um, I definitely think that I saw a shift uh, because I had some of the same providers um, pre-insurance and then when, you know, when it was being covered by the regional center and then the same provider and once um, insurance was involved, what I found wild about it as um, a parent was it seemed like the insurance was actually driving and deciding what all of a sudden Dylan's goals should be and, you know, who should be, um, you know, providing, you know, the actual, um, you know, interaction and whatnot. Um, I like what, and I totally agree with Bianca. Well, I mean, we've always, you know, she, I also have the team mentality of, you know, we call Dylan Big D, so yep. team Big D. I think, like you're saying, Heather, it's all about collaboration. And I've been very lucky that we've had that, whether I've had private services, um, you know, Dylan is with Kelly for a very long time, not just ABA, but social skills classes, group classes, you name it. Um, 
And then, but what I think is really important is having everybody involved, whether it's the school providers, um, home, you know, I mean, Dylan is in like every therapy you could think of, not just ABA, it should be a team effort, you know, involving like his OT, his, you know, speech yeah. pathologist, the school team, his BI from school and having communication logs and, you know, everybody, I mean, we had goals that overlapped, whether it was, you know, through ABA, through insurance or through his IEP or whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I, I just saw such a huge shift. And what I thought was interesting as they get older, you know, they and the parent training and it seemed like as soon as Dylan made like progress in his goals and they're like, OK, well, he's graduated. He's he doesn't need anymore. And then we have these big shifts like he just aged out and he's tripping out, you know, he's stemming more than ever. Um, you know, I just put a post up today of, you know, a, a crazy thing. But I mean, it's sometimes like this is the time that we need more help, you know, so it's just interesting. And Bianca, I mean, I can only imagine during, you know, this pandemic that you probably had tons of challenges and things at home as well. Yeah. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah. You know, um, it, it, it's true. I think that from the parent perspective in the, the initial, when they're younger, it's such an emotional response that the parents have to, um, you know, the, the grief process of, of realizing that this isn't the journey that I, we all thought we were on. And it's very emotional as they get bigger, you're more sound. And I, I always say I, I have like my Jack business, you know, like I'm, I'm able to, I'm such a sensitive person, but I'm able to take my emotional pause and, and deal with like Jack business. Okay. We need regional center. We need services. We need blah, 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 you know, and get these, these, you know, business side of Jack, the things that he needs services and support. And, and during COVID it was a insert really bad word here, nightmare, because, you know, your everything was taken away. We actually had COVID. We're all vaccine boosted now, but, but this is prior to vaccination. We had COVID and lost services and respite for six weeks. And it was a bloody, it was a bloodbath here, because as you're saying, like, I'm, I'm, I feel like Jack and Dylan are similar with the the structure that they need in their day and the consistency. And when they're used to a lifetime of ABA, call it what you want, but for the kid, this is their, this is their medicine. This is their daily structure. This is their comfort and what they thrive on. And of knowing that predictability of somebody's coming, this is what I do. This is who I am. You know, this is, this is their, this is their life here. And then taking that away insurance or age out, or it's just, yeah shit. It's, it's, it's BS because what, what the kid needs and, and the insurance part, definitely. I mean, sorry, I'm flipping back to from COVID to insurance, but, um, I remember reaching out to you, Jen, uh, this is years ago, but I remember going they're they're, they're saying he's doing so great, you know, that we're going to decrease his hours and he's not going to eventually have an, and if you knew my kid, you would be like, they are bad as crazy right now, because, we have very large behaviors, aggression, property destruction, um, self-injurious behaviors. And, and with as much therapy as we've done, that's just a part of the makeup of my kiddo. 
And we tackle that each and every day with the best tools and the best, you know, team that we have. Um, but it, it is, is, is just such a challenge to, to have the services and support that our children need on a day-to-day for the, their lifetime. This isn't, yeah. this isn't 22. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, see you later. You know, this is like, no, I am actually very, um, panicky about like the older that we get. I hundred percent agree with you, Jen. We need, um, actually more team and support and people coming together to again whatever you want to call it you know it's it's the the support for their life you know through their lifetime that we actually need so I like um I like whenever we close out podcasts we kind of like to like summarize a little bit and put like a uh, you know close it out and the thing that's striking me on this one is one as parents you want a team right? Mm-hmm. So that's a buzzword in my head, right? Like team, big D team, Jake. So, and what is the concept of a team? And so um, it also makes me think as we're doing our caregiver collaboration work through our special interest group, Heather, that you're in charge of is, do we have caregivers as a part of that? I hadn't thought of it till just now, right? Are we interviewing caregivers to get their feedback and their you know information? And are they proofing and reading the work we're putting together. Mm -hmm. And so I I struck me that, and then also quality of life keeps coming up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is another, so adult over 22 services, we clearly have to do another podcast on. And then the other one is sort of what quality of life means. And that goes to this caregiver collaboration concept in that if we are truly collaborating with family members, then what we should be doing is saying, what is, what is important for you right now? right Heather like what right now can I be helping you with and those are going to be the child and parent training quote goals and that's going to change as the kids get older Mm -hmm. thousand percent agree with you those are the two team team and the two topics that I would and I would and sorry in closing I don't mean to jump in here but I, I would say parents you have more power than you think yeah and don't be afraid to set the tone for your home environment services um I have a very close relationship rapport with my ABA therapist because he's seen me fall apart at my worst and it is a day-to-day this is what we're working on today right now very present very in the moment and it is about quality of life but not just for Jack it's for our home and everyone that lives in it you know I I can't wait to listen to Ethan's sibling podcast because I missed that one and I have a you know 17 year old that can wholeheartedly like we we involve team jack is it's everybody because the support i need is is just as crucial especially in certain moments so i i love your your summary of your two topics are spot on and if i could throw in one last piece i think to the providers that relates to it is it's not a one-size-fits-all um so if you as a provider are putting every parent goals the same that's your cue. You got to do something different. If you are expecting the same level of participation of every parent or caregiver, that's, we don't do that with our clients programs. Our clients programs all look different because we understand the idea of, and that's what we're trying to work on in the special interest group a little bit is take the same training and knowledge. There's a baseline, 
there is a what's important. <laughs> so then you determine your goals and then you we do it incrementally. And so I think if you haven't applied that same logic when you're working with parents and caregivers and you have your set, here's my 80% quiz or my four functions of behavior, <laughs> or if the parent's not in a session 50% of the time, then we're discontinuing type of thing. Right. Um, I, I strongly encourage as a provider to use your same strategies of where is the baseline of these caregivers, where are the goals you are trying to get to, and then do both your goals and your treatment accordingly. Perfectly said. Awesome. Thanks you guys. Thank you. As usual, this, this filled my cup up. So even if no one listens, I feel happy (laughs) (laughs) seen and talk to all you guys, right, Jen? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Uh